You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. Welcome to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board. My name is Jay Mack. Hey, and this is Sam Wade out in Los Angeles, California. I am, of course, in St. Louis where it's hot and sweltering. I believe you've got the better weather. We've discussed that numerous times. But I will say this. St. Louis, is since COVID has opened up, there's a lot of fun stuff going on. There's concerts back. The movie theaters are open. It's, it's great. Excellent. So I've actually got out this morning, had a walk with the family, swelteringly hot, got all sweaty, brought the beagle. It was a good. It was a good nice. morning. Good morning. Came home, took a shower, took a nap, took my old man nap. I was. I'm good to go. I'm ready to do a show, Sam Wade. Well, that sounds really good, J Mac. You know, it's, I'm glad to hear that people have been able to go out and get out there and do things. You know, obviously there's there's some craziness happening with that, like people having to put their masks back on inside and and uh, people fighting over whether or not they should be vaccinated or not. We're we're not going to say our opinion here on the show, nope. but. You know, I kind of go with science on this. That's all. That's all I'll say. So hopefully, you know, things can ease up throughout the rest of the year. The world continues to turn around us. I'm safe in my subterranean bunker, which is where I do the show. But I would just like to remind our listeners that every Wednesday, new show drops on pretty much all major streaming services. Just Google Two Tape Decks Podcast or Google Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board. We're available on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcast. On, on Saturday, we drop a B-side, which is kind of a little blurb that we do, which is kind of a random little conversation. We had a good one earlier. So definitely check those out if you want a little bite-sized morsel of two tape decks and a mixing board. Sam, we're going to continue our monthly icon series here with a really cool guy, maybe one of the coolest guys in rock and roll, and that's the late, great Tom Petty. Always had sunglasses on, uh, at least in his later years, I remember. And and this this was his excuse. He said he had sensitive eyes. I was like, that's convenient. Uh, maybe he did, maybe he <laughs> didn't. But I wish I could say that and wear sunglasses all the time. But he's kind of he's one of the most laid back, cool rock stars. I think that you could you could put him right right up there with anybody, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Like I'm ex- really excited to talk about Tom Petty. It, you know, it, it actually still kind of stings um, to to know that he's not around. And living out here in the valley, um, I think about his music a lot because you know, especially, and I'm I know we'll talk about his song that everybody knows, "Free Fall." And yep, I know you got a few things to say about that, but I'll just say like, you know, I'm living out here not far from Reseda. You know, there's it almost seems like there's a freeway running through my yard, and I you know I see Mulholland all the time. I think about him. I think about it being out here. I'm 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 sad to know that he's not with us because man. He's a treasure. Of course, he was born in Florida, but he became known as kind of the quintessential California rock guy. He was just, I think the West Coast suited him really well. He passed away in 2017. I remember I was listening to the radio. I was picking up my son from school. I guess he was in second grade at that time. And I heard it on the radio and I was like, I thought it was a joke. I th- somebody said Tom Petty was dead. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, Tom Petty's not dead. And and they, they actually, at the time, he was not dead. He died later in the hospital, but uh, they found him unresponsive in in his home. Of course, it was a, it was an accidental drug overdose. But um, we can get into yeah. that a little bit later. But let's let's go back to the happy times when Tom Petty really 
was at the height of his game. He started in 1976, which was the year I was born, and he was not initially welcomed or received well in the U.S. He had to go over to England to really get any traction, and it wasn't until the press started coming back to America that they were yeah. like, oh, wait, who's this Tom Petty guy? It's an odd way to, to make it, to get popular in England. Usually, if you're popular in England, it doesn't always translate to success in America, but it did for him, and, and rightfully so. Well, I think, you know, you got to think about the time period that this guy was, you know, that his music was hitting when he put that first record out with the Heartbreakers. Um, and by the way, I just want to remind our listeners, too, is like, we're just going to like chill and talk about Tom Petty. Um, this is not an exhaustive biography. And I think the, one of the cool things about icons is that we're talking about how these icons of music, how their music like really affected us and, and really got under our skin and hopefully encourage some of our listeners to go out and dig deeper which is something that I'm still doing with Tom Petty's music. And I think that that's what it needed at that time period too. Like when the, when the music first came out, he was going up against like disco. Yeah. Um, you know, easy listening was really popular in that top 40 category. Um, glam rock was around. And, and uh, I think that it had been enough time that like, you still have bands like Zeppelin out there touring, but you know, those, those free love days and what turned into like the early seventies, like that had kind of started to run its course commercially and really what was happening in the underground scene was like this whole new wave, which is what Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers kind of fit into that category in a way. Um, but that's such a weird, wide category. They, you, I mean, you're right. They had to go over and it, I think England was a little bit more embracing of that style of music again. And it really did help them cut through, you know. I mean, now I can't even like not even imagine, you know, a song like American Girl off their first record even not being around. I mean, it's just so iconic, right? Well, we've talked before about artists that come out pretty close to being fully formed. And and Tom Petty certainly evolved along the way, and he, I think he did get better. But that first record, it you listen to it, it sounds like Tom Petty. It doesn't sound like somebody else. Yeah. Like I said, the sound evolved and changed, and I think he really honed his craft as he got older. But I feel like I feel like if you're a fan of Tom Petty, you can listen to any record of any era and you're going to get a pretty consistent sound, which is which is really something to be said, considering, like you said, he came up in the in the time of disco. I think the Eagles were really ruling the charts, that kind of mellow the country rock type stuff, country yeah. rock. And Tom Petty was pretty much just straight up rock and roll. There's some definitely some southern accents to, to coin a phrase there. In, in his music, but he's a, he's a rock and roll guy. And one of the things in one of the interviews I, I, I watched, cause I did a lot of watching interviews before we did this show. According to him, he, he started being the singer frontman because nobody else really wanted to do it. I didn't know that. According to him, he was kind of a, he was kind of a reluctant frontman. I think that's why he loved being with the heartbreakers because if he wanted to, he could just kind of step back and blend in the, into the background. And uh, the guitar player, Mike Campbell, is that his name? Oh yeah. Mike Campbell. Amazing. I'm, you know, just totally chill, cool guitarist too. I, I follow him on Instagram and watch him doing stuff with like his band now, um, the the Dirty Knobs. Just really, really cool <laughs> stuff. What a name! <laughs> so Tom Petty could step back and let Mike Campbell take over, and 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 he did he did that quite often. I mean, when when Mike Campbell's shredding, it's kind of hard to upstage him. And he's one of those guys I really feel like maybe goes under the radar as a really good guitar player. But Tom Petty was was really smart in who he picked to play with. I agree with that. But it's hard to imagine Tom Petty not as a front man. Don't you agree? 
Well, I think that that's really kind of the, one of the amazing things, you know, looking back on, on, uh, on him as a person, at least by the things that, you know, we can, we can dig up or that we hear about people that knew him. Um, there's a really great documentary called running down a dream about the heartbreakers. It's like a four hour documentary of like home footage and stuff. It's just, just really fun watch. If you're at all curious and curious about these guys, um, and Tom specifically, but you know, he was like a master at surrounding himself with like really great, uh, collaborators. I mean, he worked with Jimmy Iovine on like a lot of the records that they did, uh, with, with the heartbreakers and like their, like Dan, uh, Dan Torpedo's era. Um, but I mean, really like these guys that he knew and, and worked with early on Mike Campbell on guitar, Ron Blair on bass, Stan Lynch on drums and Ben Montench on, uh, on keyboards. I mean, these guys are like some of the best of the best. Ben Montench, he's played on so many other records by other people too. He's they're all incredible. Well, and I like I, I've said before on other shows, I was fortunate enough to see him. Stevie Nicks opened because he he collaborated with Stevie Nicks at least yeah. a few times that I'm aware of. And well, they and- were really close. Them and them and Fleetwood Mac. I mean, I just want to take a quick aside too. When you were talking about Mike Campbell, I mean, he is the guitarist that when you know, Fleetwood Mac parted ways with Lindsey Buckingham. Who did they bring in to tour with them was Mike Campbell. Nice. They go back a long way. But. Yeah. Tom, the, the roots of, of Tom Petty's band, they go off in a lot of different directions. But, yeah, but the one, but the one thing I will say, uh, besides just note, perfect performance was Tom Petty's guitar collection was second to none. He had all the cool guitars, didn't he, man? I know if you went into his home, he probably had like a museum of different guitars. And Rickenbackers aren't really that popular of a guitar, but that was one of his signature sounds was that kind of that kind of clear, kind of jangly sound of the Rickon Rickenbacker, best known, I guess, for the Beatles. I think uh, John Fogarty played one in the early days of CCR. But yeah, I mean, it was amazing to watch him just play guitar after guitar after guitar. And once again, dude, he he didn't really stand out. He, you looked at him because he wasn't really doing anything but singing and playing. It was kind of very understated in the way that he approached being a frontman. Normally, the frontman is really outgoing and uh, real showy. And I didn't see a lot of that with him when I saw him play live. I saw him play live. I just saw incredible musicianship and just commanding the crowd. And let me tell you, there's some hardcore Tom Petty fans out there. I mean, everybody, I, I felt naked. I fell out of place because I didn't have a Tom Petty shirt on. I mean, everybody had Tom Petty shirts on. Well, I think that, you know, part of his genius and, and really kind of magic that he had as a, as an artist was that he made it look easy and effortless. And a lot of what you hear from the people that knew him well is that he would work so hard on his songs, refining them and going through them. Um, and you can kind of see that in some of the outtakes from the stuff that they've done from uh, the Wildflowers reissue that came out just recently. He would spend the, the the time, put the work in, you know, like same like I would imagine that a guy like Prince did. And then when they would present it to the world, he just made it look like, eh, I just do this. And I think that yeah. there is some effortlessness that comes from being in that zone continually and cultivating it. But at the same time, too, is like he just went up on stage and just rocked out you know they just they just did their thing that was so great i actually never got to see them live i i I had tickets for their last tour um and then ended up having to uh forfeit those because i was going to be out of town sadly um but i found myself in denver and i tried to sneak into uh one of his shows i told about that on on one of our episodes i tried to sneak into red rocks (laughs) you're my outlaw sam 
<laughs> well, it didn't work, J Mac, but I did hear one of my favorite Tom Petty songs. Uh, I heard them perform it from the parking lot, and that was um, Forgotten Man. Uh, that was off of a hip, Hypnotic Eye, their 2014 record. Just a really great tune. And uh, so at least I got that close, but I'm kicking myself for not going and seeing him before that because, you know, I, we really did lose an, an amazing artist. I mean, he was only like 66 years old when he passed, but he left like a huge legacy. I mean, what other guy was cooler than that dude? They could hang out with Bob Dylan and the Beatles and Johnny Cash. And you know what I'm saying? Like that dude was legit rock star. No, he had the creds, and I tell you what, and you know this, but I'm just going to let our listeners in on something. I found this out recently, um, within the last couple of years. What you heard on the record was what it sounded like in the studio. They did a bare amount of overdubs on their stuff. Um, right. And what what I mean by that is usually when bands go into a studio, they record the drums first, the, the, the instrument by instrument. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers would go in and like the full band, they would rehearse until they got it right. And then they recorded what they did live. Now, that's yep. not to say they don't go in and do little background vocals here or there, maybe put it like an extra instrument in. But basically what you hear is what it sounded like live, which is not how music is done. And, and I, I watched an interview of him where he said, they asked him why he did that. And he said, because I guess he said it just, that's how they got the best vibe. And, and they, and the interviewer asked him, why don't other bands do it? And he goes, because they're probably not good enough. And he kind of smirked. <laughs> it's, there's some truth into that. I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I mean, it makes sense for a band like that to go in and cut it live in the studio too, because they spent so much time getting to know each other, you know, and following each other on stage. I mean, I don't live that far away from Sound City where they did, you know, Dan, Dan, the, the Torpedoes, you know, with Jimmy Iovine producing. I mean, it's like it's right over there in Van Nuys. And, you know, a lot of amazing records were made there, including Nevermind. Um, but, yeah, they just they would just go in and uh, and just hammer it out in the studio. If you remember those, um, do you remember those um, those classic albums, documentaries that came out like late 90s, early 2000s where they'd go and like show behind the scenes? Have you ever seen any of those? Yeah, where they would go into the studio with the mixing board and they'd show them fading up yeah. and down track. I love that kind of stuff. That's right down my my alley. I encourage people to go and dig up. It's probably out on YouTube if it's not on one of the streaming services right now. Go and dig up the classic albums on Damn the Torpedoes um, because they had like this closed circuit camera footage of them doing this live in the studio and you see them creating it. You see them like arguing about it. And putting in the work and like having like, you know, iron sharpens iron kind of a thing. And you, there, there's this really funny scene where like Stan Lynch, you know, I, I don't know the guy. I know he has a reputation of being difficult sometimes, but, you know, he can he can he can own up to it. He's he's a great drummer, um, but he's having a whole argument with Jimmy Iovine, like saying, you know, um, you're the producer. You should be on that side of the glass. Like it gets pretty intense. So these kind of things were happening. And I think that kind of stuff, you know, that's what makes a, a, a live band great. I think that that's they were trying to capture that lightning in the bottle by doing it live. Well, I remember when I played in a cover band, the best way and the drummer I worked with at the time said, it's going to take us a while to perform the songs, learning the songs, learning to play the songs is different than performing the songs. Yeah. And he was so right. And the more you play and practice the song, the more you're able to perform it. It only makes him better in the in on stage if they can do that in the studio, if they can hone the song, work the bugs out in the studio 
and be tight as a unit. When you go out on stage, then performing is the first thing on your mind, not what what what's the chord change or what's the lyrics here. Right. Yeah, I th- that is that is key. Yeah, and Tom Petty was just the king of, I mean, like I said, maybe bands, it's not that they don't have the talent nowadays. Maybe they just don't put in the time, the rehearsal time. I think I think some of the bands do. I think that there's artists out there that can nail it like that, but yeah. it is more rare um, just because of the way that music is made now. And, you know, you kind of are chopping it up in the studio and doing little segments, which is, you know, and they, they did records like that too. Like when they made uh, Into the Great Wide Open with uh, Jeff Lynn in like the early 90s, I mean, that was one of those records that they uh, layered it. And they, were, they, they weren't always in the studio together. I know like some of the guys didn't like it <laughs> because of that. Behind all of those different methods, there was always Tom's songs. There was always like these these stellar songs. Like, okay, I gotta I gotta ask you, and this is a hard question, right? Okay. What's your favorite Tom Petty song, and why? Ooh, uh, can I have multiple answers? Well, of course you can. I don't see how like you could ever have one favorite Tom Petty song, right? So, what's your favorite one right now? Honestly, the one that I love the most. I'm going to pick two, but I'm going to tell you the one that I, I I'm going to give you a reason why I have one and, and two Mary Jane's okay. last dance. I love the riff, Good the one. opening riff on that song. It's just, it's catchy as hell. And when, when I saw him do it live, everybody just sang with every word. It's an amazing song. Um, Oh my, my, Oh hell yes. And then, yep. and, and then secondly, I guess message wise, the song that I love the most would be, uh, won't back down. I feel like that's, I mean, yeah. for anything, but especially some of the situations I deal with in my life, I feel like what an anthem, what an anthem to say, I won't back down. I'm going to stand my ground. So tied for first. Okay. I get behind that. What well, you got? First of all, so uh, I won't back down. Um, there's two things I think about with that song. Uh, one, it really like he literally lived this out when he took on the record labels and one with that i mean i don't even know the full story do you know what was going on with that whole thing um in 1979 he was de- he was involved in a legal dispute when abc records was sold to mca records he refused to be transferred to another record label without his consent yeah so that was that was, that was the start of it and then later which is i love this part the record company wanted to raise the albums from 899 to 998. Oh man. That's expensive. I guess it was at the time though, right? And he and he basically said this I'm not going along with this. It was kind of a that's where it's, I guess that was where the damn the torpedoes came in. Yeah, didn't they I I I seem to remember to think that they kind of held that that release of that record hostage until it could get all sorted out with a legal battle and then you know Tom was basically like stone-faced like no, I'm not going to let you do these things. Like he did not back down. So, you know, when he's, when he's singing that, I believe him. Well, and here's the, th- here's the thing. He was kind of onto something before other people were, he was saying, you're going to price music out of the people's ability or desire to purchase it. Fast forward 30 years later, Napster, people want free music. I don't know that that would have stopped it, but when you're presenting a quality product and you're you're charging a reasonable amount, amount of money for it, people are more likely to buy it. By the time Napster came along, CDs were like almost 20 bucks. People just weren't willing to do it, especially when they're buying an album that may not be good. I think Tom Petty, not only not only did he have the goods musically, 
Yeah. But he was also he also wanted to keep a level playing field so that people could actually afford to listen to music. Not everybody has vast amounts of disposable income. And so I think he kind of saw saw like down the line a little bit how this was going to bite the record companies in the ass and it did. But he kind of, you know, he's a little bit of a Robin Hood, he's a little bit of an of an everyman uh, kind of a character and and if you look at like um the record that came after Dan the Torpedoes, I mean, he's uh, and I'm talking about hard promises. Um, he's literally standing in the middle of a record store, kind of gloating, being like, ha ha, see, you know, and that record has like one of my favorite Tom Petty songs on it, by the that, way. That might be my favorite album cover, not because necessarily uh, like his, he's in any kind of real glamorous rock star pose, but it's all you see all the 45s on the record stand in the and the 33s in the back. I've got that yeah. on vinyl. It's a great album. So what what song from that really speaks to you? Well, it is a really great record. And the one that I really love off of there, probably one of my favorite songs by him is uh, is The Waiting. Oh, just yeah. Really, yeah. really great chorus. And, it, it you know, it starts off with the chorus, just kind of surprises you. And it's a good song to, to drive to. It's a good song, you know, to share with your girlfriend, you know, when you're living in another town far away and maybe you can't get there you know it's just there's so much you can tie to that song and and uh it just gets stuck in your head it's one of those ones that it's catchy it feels familiar but then if i listen to it in a day i find it coming back into my head unconsciously for like the next couple days just so catchy yeah i was playing upstairs on spotify um we were listening to before the show started me and my wife were listening just just kind of picking out different tom petty songs and yeah. literally almost every song I turned on by him, she started tapping her foot and humming along. It's one of those things. I love it. I really feel like Tom Petty, he's known for, for being an icon, but what a songwriter, dude. I mean, just the the amount of songs uh, yeah. that, that and, I, and I, I'm not going to lie, I've not even heard everything he's done. He's got albums that, that I've only heard a song or two. Just an amazing back catalog. I mean- you could maybe yeah. you could probably put him in that same category with a McCartney. How totally. he just always had another song, always had another song, always had another song. Oh man, yeah, I, absolutely. He's like you know, there's a reason that we're talking about him as an icon. I mean, the dude is not dude is an icon. I mean, uh, one of the things about I won't back down. And if you remember, like the music video for that song, literally has uh, Ringo Starr and George Harrison in the video. Yep, along with Mike Campbell. I mean, what other dude? could get two of the surviving Beatles to be in his music video when they didn't even play on the song. I mean, how cool is that? And then later on be in a band with one of the Beatles with George Harrison when he was in the, you know, the uh, traveling Wilburys. Oh, and by the way, it's not just George Harrison. He's in a band with Bob Dylan, Roy Orbison and Jeff Lynn. I mean, one of the coolest dudes and tour, you know, his band toured with Bob Dylan played as their backing band. The only other band that did that was the band. You know, I mean, he's doing that. It's, you know, you can't deny it. It's so cool. And it really ignited, um, you know, a fire again for that kind of music that, you know, we both love so much from the 60s and 70s. That's the place he came from. You know, he's he's tied to that Laurel Canyon sound, even though he wasn't from there. And he took it. He took it into the next millennium and he did. He didn't really change what he was doing. He's he's kind of like the Rolling Stones in that way. Uh, even but even the Rolling Stones had this weird like disco album, which was kind of off base from what they normally do. But Tom Petty knew what he did best and stuck with it. I think of that uh, that 2008 Super Bowl performance. I watched that recently again. I remember when it happened, mm -hmm. and I don't know if you remember, but there was that the light show where the the giant 
uh, outline of, of a Gibson flying V comes flying in across the crowd. And then, and then it syncs up with the stage, which is the stage. I think that's, that's the heartbreakers icon was, is the flying V going through the heart dude. Yep. And, and once again, dude, he's so laid back. He's playing the Super Bowl, and he's not even sweating or <laughs> shaking or whatever I would be doing. Just completely, I mean, completely mellow and just laid back. And song, I think he played three or four songs. Just an amazing performance. Well, you know, he is he's probably you know um, stoned on stage all the time, and there, yeah. there, there's really no no secrets about it. You know, you, the when he sings about it, you know, and you don't know how it feels. You know, let's you need to let's, roll, let's another roll another joint. Yeah, joint. <laughs> you know, there's there's a there's some funny stories about that and that documentary, but uh, it's good. He was an unapologetic stoner. Maybe maybe that's yeah. why he was so mellow. Maybe that's what I should have done on stage. Maybe I should have smoked a little weed. I probably wouldn't <laughs> been able to find the stage. But yeah, but yeah. that but then then juxtapose that with and we're gonna bring up one of the first icon we ever did when he played with Prince for for uh, George Harrison's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, induction. that's right. That's right. And and and, George, and and of course Danny Harrison was there. I think Ringo was on drums. Jeff Lynn was Steve there. Steve Winwood was on and, stage. Yeah. And Tom Petty's out front singing and him and Jeff Lynn are taking turns singing. And in the mm-hmm. background, if you just barely see this this guy in a, a tight little red suit. Yep. And it's Prince. And then the when greatest. it's Prince's turn to shine, you see Tom Petty just stand back and let the thunder roll, dude. <laughs> Dude, yeah, that I mean, that is a really cool rock and roll moment, first of all. And uh I I gotta imagine that was pretty insane to see live, you know. And I mean, probably one of the greatest guitar solos, at least live guitar solos ever captured on tape. And it's totally just agree. really cool to see those dudes just like celebrating their friend, you know, um, playing you know, one of the best songs from the wide album if not one of the best beatles songs together like it's just it's just cool like if it's been a while since you've seen that go and look it up because it's it's literally one of the coolest guitar solos ever and so yeah it's fun well and once again how cool do you have to be how how cool and how talented do you have to be for george harrison bob dylan roy orbison and uh, jeff lynn jeff lynn yeah from uh from uh, elo yeah, to ask to ask you to be in their band, dude. That's got to be one of my most special Tom Petty musical moments, uh, and mm-hmm. some of my favorite Tom Petty music because it's like hearing all those people in one room, dude. Can you imagine being a fly on the wall in the, in that group? I think you. I think it was a lot of laughs being had. You know, I was reading um, uh, the other day about uh, George Harrison talking about that band, and he was he was saying kind of, you know, I'm really seriously paraphrasing him here, but. He's, he basically said that what they tried to do the most with that band was to preserve their friendships. They were just trying to have a good time, just be together and just play good music, like be a band that they wanted to hear kind of a deal. And, uh, you know, that first record, uh, they put out two albums. And then um, that first record, there's a couple of great songs on there. And of course, the crowning achievement is Handle With Care, which is such a great radio single. Then that one started off like, you know, that started off being a B-side for George Harrison's um, right. song, uh, This Is Love, off of Cloud Nine, which Jeff was producing. And then they just kind of like all kind of happened to be in the right place at the right time in Bob Dylan's studio in Malibu. And they went down after that and went and got Roy at a concert that he was doing, you know, down south. And 
you know, they can't, they just wanted to have some fun and just make some great music. So, I mean, I'm glad they did. It's like a nice time capsule. Speaking of Jeff Lynn, this brings up probably the funniest story about a Tom Petty song that I know of. And that is the song free fallen. Uh-huh. Now at the yep. time, at the time him and Jeff Lynn were working and Tom Petty was trying to write some rock stuff, kind of like get, get edgy and heavy. And Jeff Lynn said, paraphrasing once again, scale it back. Try, try to give me something mellow, something softer. So Tom Petty as a joke started singing. She's a good girl. And I won't, I won't sing the whole lyrics, but he basically started <laughs> singing this real cheesy, intentionally cheesy lyrics. Yeah. And Jeff, Jeff Lynn looked at him and goes, that's it. You got something there, Tom. Let's, let's like take that further. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So it started off as a joke and I never really got the full reason it was a joke till I watched the interview and, and the, the behind the scenes. So it was like Tom Petty kind of being like, all right, you want, you want a soft metal song? How about I give you this really saccharine thing? But the fun, the funny thing is the song turns into a completely different song after that first verse. It's kind of, yeah. it's kind of, it's very emotional. It's like, it's the, it's, he sings free real long and you think that's, that's great. But then free falling, it's almost like there's an angst to it. And it's, I think it was his biggest hit. And boy, when he did that song live, every damn person in the crowd was screaming and singing that song with him. Yeah, that's it's just an amazing song. And once again, some of the best songs come from really unexpected places. Well, and you know what's genius about that song, too, is just how singable the chorus is without being totally um, cheesy either. Like, it, it said something new. I mean, it. you're right, it is. It's, I, it's his biggest song. I'm looking at at least like Spotify streams of that now, and it's like almost twice as much as like the the next song in line for the most played song. So, I love the music on his solo records. Um, I mentioned it earlier that song uh, "You Don't Know How It Feels" off of Wildflowers, which was a Tom Petty solo record produced by Rick Rubin, who's, I mean, kind of a chameleon of production anyway like that guy can do anything and he always brings something to the table that's incredible but i think that that song you don't know how it feels is like an is a master class in arrangement and and uh in production like if you like listen to it again and just listen how like every few bars something new gets introduced into the song to catch your ear and keep it pushing forward and Maybe maybe for a few seconds, like a little Fender Rhodes or like a Wurlitz or you know whatever it is, comes in and like has that steady driving beat the whole time from Steve Roney playing that. Um, but it just kind of little little notes come in there and things until it like gets that big chorus. You don't know how it feels, and then it tails off again. I mean, so cool. I could talk for a while about how cool the production is, but listen to it and key into it, and you'll be like, oh, I didn't realize so much was changing. You just kind of get sucked into it. It's got one of the coolest little breakdowns in the middle of it. It's just, mm-hmm. it go it gets real groovy in this really kind of unexpected way. And I like, I like, and we're going deep here, but I like the way that beat, it's kind of like slightly slow. It's, it's almost, yeah. it's, it's almost, it's almost like they were stoned when they did it. It's just, I don't know if he's behind the beat or it's just, it's just like a very laid back, very relaxed feel. And what a great course. You don't know how it feels to be me. How many times in the world, how many times in the in the life have you wanted to sing that out loud right, right in somebody's face? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a good song to come out like at the same time when like grunge music was really popular, too, because that was kind of like the anthem 
of that time in, 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 in rock and roll. And, you know, it's not the only song on the record that kind of has that kind of slow beat either. Like one of my ever, one of my other all time favorite Tom Petty songs is uh, it's, it's good to be King. I knew you were going to say that. I love that song. It's so good, dude. And the way that, that the string arrangement just kind of takes over the song towards the end and kind of goes into this almost kind of like a Beatles type place um, is so cool when you just kind of let it, you know, take over and wash over you and kind of take you to another place. And then all of a sudden it just ends and you're like, wow, that was kind of cool. It's, it's such a, it's such a, you know, it's such a cool record. Wildflowers. I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to pick up the triple, a ver- triple album version of that at the, at the record store. It's, because it was supposed to be a double album and the second the second record I mean, everything should should I mean it should have been a double album there's not one bad track on that second record and the third record's got some great stuff on it too it's just like demos and stuff that wasn't quite finished a lot of great stuff on there too one of the things I want to bring up before we end the show is just how dedicated to his crew and his band and his fans he was because what I didn't know and it, I don't think it even came out till after he had passed was I believe the week or so before he went on tour, he found out he had emphysema and a fractured hip. Now, normally, oh. like and a and a bum knee, he had a, he had knee problems. So normally, I think most people hear that they stop. They're like, "Well, let's cancel the tour, let's or let's reschedule mm-hmm. it, whatever." I mean, it happens. Not this guy. He kind of knew it was going to be the Heartbreakers' last tour. He knew it going in, and I think, in fact, there was an interview he did. The last interview he he ever did, he said. The heartbreakers will break up when one of a, one of us gets too sick or old to do it anymore. And I think he was kind of maybe prophesizing what he knew was going to happen. Oh. Wow. Because by this point, by this point in the tour, his he didn't realize this at the time, but his fractured hip had become a broken hip. He was taking okay. so many painkillers just to get out on stage and perform. Let's face it, if he's not in the band, the tour stops. I mean, I think you could you could right. drop out other members of the band and people would still come. So that was how dedicated he was to his craft and to his crew and his band and his fans. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And, I, and his last performance, he looks he looks jacked up. He looks like he's in a lot of pain. He's having trouble moving around. But once again, he, he ended with American Girl, the way that it started for him. That's pretty cool, man. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of uh, awesome to think about the fact that he just kept trucking along. I mean, he knew what he valued and he chased after it. I mean, that's that's pretty pretty fucking cool. I agree. I mean, like I said, I don't know if I would have the cojones to do that knowing I was I had a fractured hip. I I, I probably would say I'm just going to sit out this one, but he I think maybe there was sort of that shark mentality where he had to keep moving and he just loved playing and it would be hard to know that you're not going to be able to do this for much longer. I mean, emphysema is going to affect your ability to breathe and sing. People don't think about it, but standing on stage and holding a guitar, that 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 wears on you after a while. It's a, it's a lot, especially a man who was almost 67, who had spent the, his life on the road. That's a lot of miles on those legs and on that back and on those fingers. So once again, hats off to Tom Petty for just being an Iron Man. Well, he, you know, he definitely has uh, the breadth of work um, to kind of support exactly what you're saying. I mean, I I agree with what you said earlier, by the way, is like, um, I really don't feel like I've totally dived in to the depths of just how much amazing Tom Petty music are there or is is out there. You know, um, he, he you know, as a as an icon, Tom Petty's 
always kind of been circling around in the air for me. And, you know, it's part of why it was so devastating when you realize that there wasn't any new Tom Petty music coming out. But, um, it, you know, I, I knew about like American girl or, uh, here comes my girl or, um, I won't back down or running down a dream, you know, learning to fly. Those songs have just been like hanging around in the air for, for decades. And it's going to keep going on because he made some of the greatest music of the, of the late 20th century. And then into the 21st century. I mean, the proof is, is there, man. It's good shit. I will say from a, from a cover band perspective, every time we did, and we did two Tom Petty songs running down a dream and American girl. Every time we did those songs, the dance floor was full. Now we did them later in the night usually, but people love those songs. Well, it's it's because they 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 feel familiar for the the first time you hear it. Like he was a genius at yeah. writing those like memorable melodies too. You know, just really incredible stuff. Yeah, he was. I mean, he he will be sorely missed because he was truly rock and roll royalty. And I really feel like he may may have been one of the last really great rock stars out there. And and I use that term loosely. He he was not really a rock star per se. I mean, he didn't act like Jim Morrison or some of these yeah. more outlandish people, which I love all those people. But Tom Petty was an understated rock god. He really was. And I feel like there's so much that I haven't heard of him. I mean, I know so much because he's he, I, his music is in the air. It's it's in the culture. But once again, there's so many songs I haven't heard yet. And I think we described it earlier in the day or or yesterday when we were talking about. Maybe it's like a fine bottle of wine and you don't really want to crack it yet because you don't want to be to the end. Yeah. It's like sometimes when I read it, when I read a really good book, I don't want to read it too fast. I want to kind of read it a chapter at a time and think about what I just read, not blaze through it. That's kind of how I am with some of Tom Petty stuff. I just kind of, I always want to have another Tom Petty song to listen to, by the way. Well, I just hope, you know, Jay Mac, you know, especially with everything that we do with these icon series, that if there's anything, I really hope that our listeners have to listen to about Tom Petty for, you know, half an hour or whatever we've been talking about. I'm like, go and dig back into his stuff and just realize just how, how cool it is. I mean, is there a better word to describe Tom Petty than cool? I mean, doesn't he just like it? He's the embodiment of cool. He's like Fonzie. He's just the sunglasses, the the blonde hair, the kind of the guitar slung over his shoulder, standing there like he just don't give a damn. Cigarette <laughs> hanging out of his mouth. Yeah, he's 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 the definition of cool. That's right. So for another great episode of Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, my name is Jay Mack. And this is Sam Wade. Saying until next week, stay, stay cosmic. cosmic.